Today on Gospel Unscripted. This is the mystery of salvation that one man, Jesus, who was not sinful, would be able to take the sin of the world on his shoulders and become that sacrifice, not only for the Jewish nation, but for all nations. Hello, I am Megan. And I am Amy, and welcome to Gospel Unscripted. Today, we are going to encourage you, to pray for you, and read through the Gospels with you. Our hope in having these conversations is to make connections, observations, and ask questions, all in an unscripted manner. And we want to just join with you in pursuing the heart of Jesus, learning about God's plan to give you and me and everybody a future and a hope. So let's get started. Let's get started. Okay, so yes, Jenny is not with us right now. Uh, She has some family things to sort of attend to. So Megan and I are, I guess we're not going so well. Holding down the fort. Holding down the fort. That's right. So we are nearing the end of chapter 11, which has been, these have been great discussions about the raising of Lazarus. Great, great section in John chapter 11. And if you haven't seen this yet, this is going to be one of our final episodes of the season of the first season of gospel unscripted so let's go ahead and jump right in megan do you want to read that section like 45 through what 53 maybe try yeah, that out. I wasn't sure how you want me to split it up but yes that sounds great so john 11 45 through 53 many of the jews therefore who had come with mary and had seen what he did believed in him some of them went to the pharisees and told them what jesus had done So the chief priests and Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this at his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Okay. Now, I did not really go through my commentary very well on this one. I had to review this morning. We first started this chapter, like, back in February. I'm like you. I had to go back. So Um, what did you rediscover? (laughs) That's a good way to say that. Several things. It starts with many of the Jews, and they believed in him, but some of them went to see the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So, I mean, I feel like you can conclude there that those Jews who believed would have been like Nicodemus or um, Joseph of Arimathea, the ones who were part of the Sanhedrin or Pharisees, but were believing but then the ones that went to the pharisees you know i guess um they were really misunderstanding you know jesus's purpose like i feel like he made it clear you know i i'm not leading like some kind of military campaign give to caesar what is caesar's and god what is god's but i feel like the fact that they're worried about what's going to happen to their nation you know in that time it was very like precarious you know the romans gave them like a certain amount of power but probably if they got out of hand, they would take away 
my understanding is they would take away a lot of their freedoms that would affect like the temple other things like that you know that was like kind of where their fear was even though jesus had told them like this isn't something you need to worry about but i think that the rome that rome would step in if they felt like a revolution was taking place which they did well, not because want. the power of rome was absolute i mean yes, they did right and so yeah. nobody else they could get in the way of that so i think that's something that uh you know is easy for me to forget as i'm reading it the power that like the pharisees had was not really a true power you know but it was a kind of a perceived kind of thing as you were saying many of the jews therefore who would come who had come with mary and had seen what he did believed in him that is separate from the but sum of 46 so people who had seen this the ones who believed are not the ones that are running in my reading Anyway, I'm not right. getting that those are the people yeah. that are running to the Pharisees. I mean, they saw something, they saw something, but are they true believers? Or maybe heard about it because right. you know how that can happen. Like people talk, like didn't see it, but like, according to so-and-so, this is what happened. So yes, I think it's safe to say that the people that went to the Pharisees were not believing in what had happened. What they say in um, 47, it's kind of like they're in a way getting ready to cancel Jesus. You know, this is the yeah. beginning of cancel culture. I mean, I'm seeing it right here, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe not, yeah. I'm not saying the beginning of cancel culture period, but this is an example. You know, the Pharisees, they believe their power, which is in some measure granted to them by the Romans is in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. And they got to do something about that. And they have to do something to guard it. They are saying this man is performing signs. So they know there's something legitimate, something mm -hmm. legitimate about Jesus. But their mm -hmm. next right. breath is, if we let him go on, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So they know they're at a crisis point. If they don't yeah. do something, then their paradigm is going to blow up and fast. Yes, more than it already has. More than it already has. That's exactly right. Something else that I found that was interesting, it was about Caiaphas. I love how... In this passage, it basically is showing that God is using his prophecy, even though Caiaphas isn't meaning to be used, but he basically is like, he's saying what's going to happen. My study Bible said Caiaphas is used by God to explain Jesus's death, even though he didn't realize what he was doing. I feel like there's a lot with that, you know, it kind of had a double meaning what he was saying and that he was unknowingly a prophet and that there was kind of an unintended truth of what he was saying. Also in my study, I was reading about verses 49 and 50, where it talks about, it says, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, my commentary said, the phrase that year may be an indirect allusion to the fact that the Roman government had changed the high priest so often it became an annual appointment, but that Caiaphas mm. had actually, he had actually been in that position for like 18 years. Um, and his father-in-law would have been Annas, who was there at like Jesus's trial. So I felt like, uh, yeah. Uh, and this is, kind of yeah, his son John 18, 13 also references Annas. First, they yes. led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Because that's future, because we're still in John 11. 18 I years being heard. high priest. I mean, he's had Which a whole career. Been a, yeah, yeah, definitely a long time, especially when often it would have changed on a yearly basis. I had Mark 15, 31 written down. I don't know what that is. I'm going to look it up. So also the chief priests oh, with the scribes okay. I see mocked him to one another saying, 
Yeah. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Just kind of the irony of the situation and like the sacrificial aspect of what Jesus did, like how Caiaphas had kind of said, like, better for this one man than for all of this to happen. That verse, let's it read really that verse is. again. I mean, yeah, where he the, says, you're right. It is absolute prophecy when he says, uh, verse 50, for, he said, you know, nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people then that the whole nation should perish. Which it is true. It is true. But that this but is the mystery of salvation that yeah. one man, Jesus, who was not sinful, would be able to take the sin of the world on his shoulders and become that sacrifice, not only for the Jewish nation, but for all nations. Yes. And I also found about that, it was talking about, you know, not only applying to the nation of Israel, but like the Jews scattered throughout the world. And then, you know, later on the Gentiles... So yeah, like applying to everyone. So I thought that was interesting as, as well too, because it seems sort of random that that's tucked in there. But then you think, well, like really it's talking about us, you know? Gather into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. Gather into one. What verse is that? Is that? This is 52. 51. It says these words might apply to the Jews of the dispersion, uh, you know, being scattered. I have a cross-reference to John 10, 16. So the previous chapter. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Whenever yes. I hear that, I mean, it may be talking about other Jews in other places, but I also, in my heart, feel like yeah. that is us. No, that is us. We are sheep of another sheep fold. Sheep of another fold. Yeah. Okay. And also, it also references John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god so oh. yeah just kind of that what was the phrase gather into one the children of god yeah so i think just kind of making it more like wider not just oh yeah because jesus yeah, is for everybody he is the great equalizer he is the great yeah. gatherer and i think we've said this before that a lot of times people who are maybe not christian or maybe in seen as being in opposition to Christianity many, many, many times. They don't have a problem with Jesus per se, but they have a big problem with Christians because even people okay. who believe in Jesus. Yeah. I mean, we are, we are human. We are sinful. We are broken. We make yeah. mistakes. And this is why it's important to put your trust in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, you know, and not just another human who is also fallible, who is also broken, who, mm. you know, yes, I think God saves our souls and, and resurrects our spirit, our bodies in the, you know, in the end, but even though we are saved, we're still living on this earth and we are not finished yet. Yeah. And so, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> who are you going to put your trust in? Jesus is, is mm. worthy of that trust. You know, we can try to mirror him, but in the end, you got to trust in Jesus and not just another yeah. person who also believes. Yeah, in Jesus. but like, that's why it matters how we treat people and like loving people well. And, you know, it maybe doesn't mean perfect, but seek to love people well, you know, and that you're doing it for the sake of Jesus because you truly believe that's how he would be. Yep. As we go right from the awesomeness of this miracle which ends with unbind him and let him go, right? The the raising of Lazarus. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of fanfare. Like there's no parade. There's no welcome home party that we hear of. Yeah. It just goes directly yeah. to moving forward in Jesus' story of what is going to happen next. 
this to me makes me feel like God's in control that, that mm. this man who's the high priest, you know, in service of God, also an who imperfect person in who thinks he's in control, like who thinks he's in control, but God uses even his words to further illuminate mm -hmm. for us the yeah. purpose and his presence in this story. Power. And I yeah. feel like it's a really important bridge to this section. You could have ended this chapter with unbind him and let him go. And then jump straight to chapter 12, which is six days before the Passover and Mary anoints Jesus at Bethany. But instead it includes that little part, which I feel like is foreshadowing, but it also is a really important bridge. Here in my book, they have a little party after Lazarus <laughs> and I just love that. I love that image of like, oh, they had a little party, you know, they were celebrating, which they probably did. They so, probably did. I totally agree with that. Probably, I mean, you know, you probably could have. So anyway, are we ready for 54 to the think, end? Yeah. Or yes, I will go ahead and read that. Verse 54. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. I was trying to find where that town was. So, but Ephraim was also a person. That's why I was confused. I feel like, like was that he one of the 12? Yes, tribes? he was. Um, so in my study, it says in this expositor Bible commentary, for this reason, Jesus left Bethany where no danger threatened him and removed to Ephraim, a village north of Jerusalem. Ephraim had been identified, has been identified. I'm probably going to say all this wrong. With Ed <laughs> a few miles northeast of Bethel, perhaps maybe the city called Ephraim, mentioned in the account of the Maccabean Wars. The town was on the edge of the Judean desert into which Jesus could flee if necessary. So, you know, really doesn't matter what it was called, but it was on the edge of the desert, a little bit north of Jerusalem. And so I find that interesting, though, that Jesus feels like he needs to take refuge somewhere. But I think it all goes back to his time had not yet come yet, even though it was getting close. Right. So I found that interesting that he and his disciples went and hung out there for a little bit. So now I said Ephraim, but this said, this is the Bible companion that I've got. It's another commentary. And it says Ephraim, meaning doubly fruitful, the second yes. son of Joseph and As Asenath from Genesis 46, 20. Jacob okay. Ephraim's grandfather or Ephraim's grandfather adopted oh, both so Ephraim and his brother Manasseh okay. as his own sons. That's why I was thinking Jacob because it would have been his grandson. Okay. Uh, Jacob gave Ephraim the greater blessing, bestowing on him the birthright of the firstborn son. So, I mean, that's okay. just a little Bible history there that, is that we got going on. Okay. Um, but he did stay with his disciples. So he's not 100% on his own. I mean, his yeah. disciples have been with him this whole time and they are, they're still with him. And it, there it is. It says the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. So do we have any notes on what that purification would have? I don't have anything super in depth, but my source just said ceremonial cleansing would take considerable time when a large crowd was involved and the people wanted to be ready to participate in the sacred beast. So it doesn't really say what it is but it would have taken time. 
So, you know, kind of like how we want to plunk our lawn chairs down and make sure we get a good spot for 4th of July or something. (laughs) And you have to make sure you (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh, that's funny. But it says they're looking for Jesus. That's probably not what it was like at all. Yeah, but they're looking for him because they can be there. Was it in chapter seven, like the Feast of Booths, where, you know, his brothers are like, oh, you should go. And they're really kind of taunting him. And then he's like, no, I'm not going to right now. And then all the people are like, where is he? And, but then he does show up eventually. It kind of reminds me of that. Yes. They're looking for him, but he hasn't shown up yet. Well, because these people Um, know what 57 says. They know that the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders. Those orders are out already. That if anyone knows where Jesus is, they have to report it. They have to let him know. And I also read a little bit about that. In light of this situation, it might be concluded that Judas was a messianic, that he was being loyal to his nation and that his loyalty to the ruling priesthood took precedence over his personal loyalty to Jesus. Um, Mm. They were like the ruling in charge that he was like being loyal to them by turning him in. I just thought that was an interesting, you know, he could have been looking at it. Yeah. So depending on your perspective, you could look at Judas, who we identify as a traitor, you know, in scripture, but that he would have been, you know, serving his nation. Ah, that's like a weird Benedict Arnold thing. Isn't that weird? Well, and, you know, the Pharisees, the Pharisees who were against Jesus would have been thinking they were doing the right thing as well. I'm sure. Right. You know, they all would have been in the same, the same boat, I guess. And I feel like from reading Acts, I feel like the Pharisees are still... I mean, the, the, I mean, they were, the temp- they were still around. Yeah. Yeah. But still in power. Like, yeah. So that's just interesting, I guess that, you know, Judas ends up committing suicide and they're still around. I'm sure there were some from the Pharisees that did put their trust in Jesus. I remember my dad saying when I talked with him about that, you know, that that would have been a really big decision, you know, for those who are Pharisees who had followed that for so long that Jesus was kind of that new wineskin and having to make that decision, that would have been a really hard thing. One of my favorite stories of the travelers on the road to Emmaus, which is after the resurrection has occurred, yeah. they don't know it all. But as, as yeah. Jesus is walking with them, he opens the scriptures to them. In other things I've read, because I, I like novels and Francine Rivers wrote oh, a Francine set of Rivers. novels at like as sure as oh as sure as the dawn and echo in the yes. darkness like there's yes. there's three there's a trilogy yes and about Hadassah right Isn't right about yeah right right and fictionally there is a section in those books where this happens that a that a Jewish man is introduced to the gospel and they go back and forth on how. Jesus fulfills, he's the fulfillment of all the prophecies. He's the fulfillment of the scriptures and how Old Testament points to Jesus 100%. But, you know, if you're not looking in the right spot, you may not see that. And I think sometimes we wish that we could have walked with Jesus and known him and seen him with skin on. But sometimes is it better for those who have not seen and yet believe, you know, because we have not seen these things. We did not see Lazarus come out of the tomb. We did not hear and feel and see the majesty of these miracles that Jesus performed. But I think there can be blessing in that for us because there's some stumbling blocks we won't have, some hurdles we would we would not have to get over, that we don't have to get over, That's true. you know, because yeah. we don't true. believe our own eyes sometimes. 
Yeah. Just like Thomas, of course, you know, later. And I think it was you that brought up that Thomas gets a bad rap sometimes, but he was willing, he was willing to go with Jesus and die with Jesus. You know, we, we heard that earlier in in this text, but Jesus knew he said to Thomas, you know, you come, you put your hands, you know, in my, in my wounds and, and, you know, you, you feel me and see me that I'm real because he couldn't believe until he saw it with his own, with his own eyes. We don't have that. We don't have that opportunity. But is it better for us? Does God have our best interest in heart anyway? In that, mm-hmm. I think he does. Well, and I think it's really easy. I feel like we've talked about this before too, but I feel like it's really easy to say like, oh, if I would have been there, I would have done X, Y, or Z. You know, the disciples are really just kind of mirrors that we are and that we would have done a lot of the same things, I'm sure. And it would have ended yeah. the same way. So, yeah, because God's plan is ultimate, you know, right. And he was not surprised by anything. And it was necessary. That's right. Yeah. That's what I thought of when you, when you were showing the picture of Jesus outside the tomb, the way he was standing, I thought, yeah, not surprised. Yes. He's not surprised. He's it's this all under control. Like yeah. I just, yeah. I just love that. So, all right. So let's go ahead and pray and I'll go okay. ahead and close us out then. Okay. okay. Dear Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the stories of of your miracles that you have given us, Lord Jesus. And thank you just for the hope of resurrection, Lord, that we have seen the entirety of this chapter 11, Lord Jesus, and Lazarus' story and and, in your story, Jesus, and, and in our story too, Lord, what you have planned for us and all those who believe in you. And we just thank and praise you for your power and your promise. And we just pray that anyone who hears this message, Lord Jesus, of your love, that you came into this world to save or to seek and save the lost, that they will respond to that in their hearts and minds, and that we will all come to know you better. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Megan. That's right. You're the best. <laughs>